Welcome to Artscape, a new presentation from SFU Woodward's cultural programs located in Vancouver, BC at SFU Goldcorp's Center for the Arts. I'm Michael Boucher, Director of Cultural Programs. Join me as I sit down with leading edge artists in dance, theater, cinema, music, and digital arts as they explore new practices and approaches reflecting the ever-changing landscape of contemporary arts. Please tune in to our conversations of discovery anywhere, anytime on your favorite streaming platforms. Vanessa Goodman, it has been a while. It is so great to see you once again. Nice to see you too, Michael. Thanks yeah, for having me. Oh, absolutely. And we're so delighted to be working with Music on Main. This is the first time we're having this partnership with them. So it's really quite terrific with this work that was in, in development and presented throughout the pandemic and got great, great interest locally. And then, I mean, you're on tour internationally here, and then you're coming back here to Vancouver to do the reprise, but in a more complex, uh, fruitful way. So so it's really, really fantastic and a great venue. Our venues, proud to say, but anyway... Hey, listen, so just before we jump in on that, I've got to ask you, okay, since then, you've become a mom. How has that changed things with regards to creating? I mean, obviously, separate to time and focus, but I mean, has it fed you in a unique way with regards to going to work? And uh, uh, Of course. I mean, I think um, it would be hard not to have influenced, changed, fed, um, inspired, made things more challenging, <laughs> all of the above, you know, I think, um, I think one of the things is it's made me really efficient with my time uh -huh. in the studio, which I'm really grateful uh -huh. for. The uh -huh. one thing I seem to be missing time for, I have to say, is admin, which is not my favorite part of what I do, but is an essential part of what I yeah. do. And it's been, yeah. I think, the trickiest balances um you know responding in a way that i i used to respond to right, emails and right. administrative oh. duties yeah but especially that you're on tour too that makes it even more complex for i, I i'm just going to reference the fact that the very themes that are part of graveyards and gardens are very much kind of earthbound and very kind of uh connected to 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 nature and in a way that having a child like that is just kind of spectacular in that given the nature of what you're doing so we'll get into that a little bit later but anyway what was the genesis of the starting point to this thing because to draw carolyn shaw on board is like quite a feat so what was the thing that triggered this come into play well i am very fortunate to have met david pay through dances for a small stage with julianne sororan and david pay had seen me perform at one of um, the modulus small stage uh, collaborations and said, I would like to pair you with this artist that we have in residence to do a short improv. Um, are you up for that? And I said, yes. And I didn't know very much about Caroline before. I uh, got into the studio with Caroline. We had about two hours and we performed that evening and it was a five minute little short improvisation that Music on Main actually filmed and it's online. Both of us, in retrospect, realized that there was something there that was quite interesting to both of us, that there was some sort of uh, connection about how we were thinking about process 
and creation and also performance that were aligned. And David paired us together again uh, a few months later. I think that was in like November or something of 2015. And then in December 2016, we got to perform, or sorry, not December, uh, May 2016, we got to perform together again at the Fox while she was here in residence. And I said to her after that, because again, we had something and it went really well and both of us really enjoyed it. I said, would you be interested if we had more than one hour to make something together to find out what would happen? And I feel incredibly grateful that she was interested. And so I started applying for funding, um, took a little bit of time to apply for funding because I don't know if you remember that timeline, I was still working on Wells Hill and I had to finish yeah. up that project before moving on to the next one. And yeah. Wells Hill was a project I did with SFU Woodwards and Dance House in 2017. So I knew I needed to wrap that project up uh, for the funding bodies before I was eligible to apply for the next round with Caroline. And so once I did, I, I put in the application and I received funding. I think it was like in early 2018. And I let Caroline know I've, I've got secured funding. Do you want to come to Vancouver for a week? And I asked you for some studio space and you generously gave it to us. And we had our first week together. And then we were offered some residency time in Banff. And it was while we were in Banff after we had that first initial week together that the work really started to emerge in really interesting ways. Though I have to say, it was during that first week together that we were in studio at SFU Woodwards that Caroline came up with the name Graveyards and Gardens. And so really like the genesis of the work happened in, in the blonde studio upstairs, that That's very cool. tiny seed right there. And also with like um, so much love for David Pay, who yeah. just kind of knew that we were going to connect yeah. on an artistic level no. and also personal level. Yeah, super insightful. I mean, just for our listeners who may not know who Carolyn Shaw is, I mean, she's a Pulitzer Prize winner, the youngest for composition ever. Right, Three-time so Grammy winner. Three times, yeah, and and just is uh, separate to being a violinist, handed a violin at the age of two, went through the Suzuki method, and just this kind of this amazing prodigy, and also uh, experimental vocalist. She comes with a a whole toolkit that is just amazing and imaginative, and really, really in a way, highly, highly experimental. It, it seemed like the right kind of marriage for you two, but I I want to jump to the the point of when do you know when you're experimenting and you're clicking that okay this is the 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 seed here and then this is what grows from it so how i just explain what were the clicks that happened yeah i think um at first when we got together at sfu woodwards we brought a bunch of technology i i became really interested in looping devices and microphones and using my voice um, and Caroline was a big part of that, like our first initial connection. When we did that first improvisation together, it unlocked something in my body that mm -hmm. I was quite unfamiliar with and quite excited mm -hmm. by. And so I started accumulating audio equipment to experiment on my own to see what I could find. So when we got to SFU Woodwards, I brought everything that I had up until that point, And she brought a few things that she was interested in using. And we knew that we were interested in repetition and looping and how things evolve, transform, decay over time with that kind of information. We knew that was kind of at the basis of both of our practices and how we could um, begin to 
shift, transform those things together was really a big part of that. And so a big part of our time together in that first week was actually setting up the equipment in space, playing with it, setting up propositions for each other and, and just kind of letting things evolve and filming everything and seeing what happened. After we finished that week, there was a couple of really interesting things that came about. I think the, the actually one of the opening scenes for the show right after the, the opening, when the audience comes in, the very first kind of moment that the show kind of um, settles in, uh, there's this beautiful um, ocean score that she's created that's this loop with this beautiful um, piano loop that's going in over top of it. It's a Chopin loop that came in during that first week that we worked right. with that and the idea of duration and time expanding during that. Right. Um, so that was a key moment. And then I think when we got to the BAMP Center also, we decided we wanted to set everything up in the round in a circle. And I started, I, I like organizing the space when I'm in it and starting to design the space. And I started taping all of the cable in a circle that we were using and taping it with orange tape and, and being really specific about how the um, XLR cable, which is all the audio cable, was connecting to her uh, center. It's kind of like a hive mind that she was controlling some of the room from or most of the room from. And so that was also another big moment for us in terms of understanding the structure of the piece and the aesthetics of the piece. And then we decided we wanted some plants. And so we went around the BAMP Center kind of snagging. We signed out a plant from the library. I went and got some wheatgrass from the grocery store. Then we decided we wanted like these vintage lamps in the space. So we started like accumulating lamps from our, our rooms and pulling lamps from wherever we could. I think like designing the space was a big part of it for us as well to create the environment so that we started to build this world together. So I think these are all moments where it clicked in. And then I think one of the final things that kind of was one of the turning points for us is we decided that the whole piece would be the uncovering of a song, uh, a final song, and that every part would accumulate to that moment of the crescendo or the finale of the piece that everything would build mm. to that moment. So we started to think about, okay, so we need to write this song and then we need to work backwards from there. Um, so I think those were kind of the key moments. Right. And just like uh, like when you look at, or you listen to the title itself, I mean, it, it really has um, this sense of mortality to it, but yet because of that, there's the precious beauty of gardens. I mean, they renew. So there is yeah. this kind of element that's, seemingly built into the theme i haven't seen the piece so i've got to basically i'm going on the clues here but i gather like memories of important theme within the interweaving of all these elements can you just speak to that yeah i think you know one of the things that was interesting to us about all these devices that we were using which was the tape decks the ribbons of a tape decompose over time and they warp um, much like our memory itself, mm -hmm. how it's really, we're only remembering the last time we remember something. It's really hard to remember an exact event uh, specifically. And there's always this slight rewriting that goes on in our, in our brain. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's omissions, distortions, or a complicated narrative of, of rewriting, but it, it happens kind of in a cycle or a loop of, of recreating a memory of a specific moment. So we liked that these objects like 
a record holds a specific moment in time, but also, you know, as the record gets played more and more, as it gets damaged, the audio changes, same thing with the tape deck, that these things are actually even an archive. It's, even though it's in an object, it's it's living in a sense and it has its own decomposition, but when it starts to decompose, it also transforms and becomes something new. So that was something that was really important to us. And the week that we were in creation at SFU, I, I think it was the week that Notre Dame actually burned down. Oh my gosh. That was a really special pace for Caroline. Yeah. And yeah. and we started talking about how, you know, like the lumber that was used to build Notre Dame and 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 the, the history of that lumber even and and what happens to that lumber and those ashes and so like all of these little things even if mm -hmm. they're not like specifically embedded in the show in a in a direct way it's it lays fertile ground for for what mm -hmm. grew out of it mm -hmm. it's kind of funny too when you look at old technology there's a great creativity and application to having built that yeah and, and it was an achievement and a high mark at yeah. that point in time and of course, things have evolved and it's now discarded. There's a, an echo mm -hmm. of, of creation, an echo of, of a voice within it. You know, so so uh, I find that really intriguing. And one of the things that we loved about the tape deck specifically, like it was the first time that somebody could record themselves at home. Um, so information was shared uh, politically, um, socially, culturally, in a, in a really different way. And the history of the, the, the tape, the cassette, and, you know, it was a really economic way to all of a sudden share. And I mean, you know, I'm kind of a nerd about this stuff. Like it reminded me of the Gutenberg printing press and how that changed our, our the way we digest information and the, the fact that we were able to all of a sudden have as humanity have access to texts in a new way. It was kind of the same pivotal moment in terms of, I mean, I don't know if people actually think about it this way, but for me, it impacted when I was reading about the history of the tape deck. Um, it, it had a same pivotal moment that the fact that, you know, all of a sudden people could make music at home, they could record themselves, they could share it, they could make uh, mm -hmm. political, uh, you know, change by sharing information that wasn't mm -hmm. possible through other means in terms of free speech being limited in, in societies where there was dictatorships or totalitarian governments, like it shifted things again. And it, it was quite remarkable when we were reading about it and, and it was quite inspiring. So I think like there's a lot in these old technologies. Yeah have shaped humanity in really specific ways and of course we just love the mixtapes too like our youth was full of mixtapes we would mail them back and forth to friends yeah. and, and you would you know you'd wait and wait for that song on the radio and record it so that you had it it was a really it was a huge shift and like in terms of pleasure of pop culture as well right Right now we take it for granted because it's so ubiquitous, unfortunately, in a way, because a lot of uh, artists feel that, I mean, they want their work to speak to when they perform it live. And it's often people are referencing a recording and they want to be in the live with it. So it's kind of an interesting yeah. uh, dichotomy in that regard. In, in this context of playing with one another, you, you do have to establish a beginning, a middle and an end, you know, in whatever you're doing. I mean, how did that come about? Like we're, what triggered things? Was it choreography that triggered the sound or sound that triggered the, I mean, or is it just, yeah. you you can't forget that that's too linear a, a pattern. No, I think I can actually, I can answer that. Like um, okay. sound is such a huge part of my process. I, I, I usually start with some sort of sonic information. And 
And so often Caroline and I would get into the room to start rehearsal and we would start setting up sonic propositions. Um, Caroline would build a loop. I would start building a loop. Maybe I would loop, uh, you know, a piece of Ravel or the Brandenburg Concerto, or we would loop Joni Mitchell um, on a record. So we would be looping these records like, or cut like little edits from a record and into these little four second clips. And then Caroline would feed it back into her system and start playing with it as well. So often I think it would start with um, a sonic proposition and then I would start um, playing with that sonic information and see how I could evolve it physically and to manifest it into a choreographic kind of uh, physicality. And then we would talk about it and start to shape it. So, and then we talk about what sections kind of resonated with us, what, what we kind of kept coming back to, what we right. would repeat. Um, and the things that I think that we would repeat or we kept coming back to, for example, both of us have this intense love for the Brandenburg Concerto. Um, it was just obvious to us that it had to be part of the work. Yeah. Right, right. You engaged an outstanding, I would say, light sculpture in James Proudfoot. So again, how did you create that world? Because he's an amazing artist, and local too. Fantastic. Um, well, and I think it, we had talked with James about it feeling like somebody's basement or a rumpus room where they would just come to hang out to make some mm -hmm. music together. And so we wanted it to have some sort of intimate, cozy vibe and the lamps um, were a really nice way to do that. We started there and then James, as you know, yeah. um, works his his beautiful craft. And I had the pleasure because Caroline couldn't come over during the final phase. So we were working remotely during the final phase of her uh, sending information and audio files and stems to Kate and Eric and myself. And then I would be in the theater with the production team. When you're working with James in the theater, at least when I'm working with James in the theater, there's a whole other level of collaboration. He offers a proposition and I start to populate it with with an idea that I respond to his proposition and vice versa. Like at one point I kind of said to everybody, I was like, I feel like the lights need to dance in the room. And so I stuck the microphone under one of the lamps and started turning the clicker of the lamp, like the on and off switch. And I looped it. And then I did that to several lamps and then James had them flickering. And I said to everybody, is this it? Is this a thing? And then I recorded it and sent the little video to Caroline. And I said, is this a thing? I think we all think it's a thing. Kind of how we go. Like, this is how we, we, we make work together. It's a dialogue. Fantastic. That's really fantastic. Now, can you just, um, it, it seems like you've, you've traveled a lot with the show. What is the future of the show after you present in our space? Is it continue? Yeah. Um, so uh, we'll be doing the show in, well, we do it in Seattle right before we come to you with yeah. Octave 9 presented by the Seattle Symphony. And then in May, we do it in Rome uh, presented by Spellbound Orbita. And then We'll do it in Quebec and Quebec City and in Montreal in the fall. And then I think we might be doing it in Italy again later on as well. And there's a few other places that we're still in conversation with as well. But it's already toured to Portland uh, with Third Angle. We did it in a skate bowl last year. We did it in Alberta with Brian uh, Brian Webb in Edmonton and in Calgary with Nicole Mion at Springboard. Um, and then we did it in Montreal at CNRs recently as well. And we did it on Salt Spring, actually. Fantastic. So, you know, it's had a nice little life, even though yeah. it was created in a time 
time of very much being in isolation. There was always yeah. the dream of Caroline and I touring the work together and both performing it. It must be so celebratory to come back after being kind of frozen in time during the pandemic to come back and to be suddenly going into a world tour. It's pretty nice. I feel pretty lucky. I have a really amazing team. I work with a great um, production team, Kate and Eric, who are the audio designers. They're also our production team on the road. Like uh, Eric is lighting director while we've been, since we've been touring it and Kate does audio um, design on the road. And then Brent Belcher, my touring agent and his team have been instrumental in getting it out there and sharing it as well. It takes a small army. And then of course my partner, uh, Ben, who helps on countless ways, I have to say, between helping to take care of my child, our child, and uh, and uh, also being a creative, uh, you know, voice for me and bouncing ideas off of. Wow. Thank you so much. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you April the 12th to the 15th, SFU Woodward's Gold Corp Center for the Arts, Bay and Milton Wong Theatre. Don't miss it, 7.30. See you there. Forgotten fault lines.